59 years ago, the year was 1963, there was a lady named Madeline Murray O'Hare. And she fought a one-person crusade, one person. And she got prayer and Bible study removed from the public school system. Since 1963, people have been asking this question. What's going to be the result of taking God out of the public school system? Do we have to ask anymore? We, we now live in a culture where life has no value. Personal property has no value. Individuals have no value. Marriages have no value. Culture has no value. Police have no value. Life has no value because we've been taught we are simply a product of chance, a product of, of advanced uh, uh, evolution. That we're, It's not the divine spark of God. There's no God. We've taken the Bible away. And so as a result of stripping everything away... We end up with the culture we have. And is anybody shocked? Are you really shocked when you see what's happening in Los Angeles or Daytona or Orlando or Tampa or Miami or St. Louis? I don't see how we could be. When you read the scripture, you see what happens in Judges or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Every time God is removed from a culture, here's the sad part. A lot of churches have taken Bible and prayer away. Oh, they still go through a, a formality. But the actual reality of what's happening is it's just a, just a religious event. They don't hold to the Scripture. They don't hold to belief in the power of God or obeying Scripture. In fact, I will just tell you straight up that 80% of American churches are pro-choice. I don't get it. How could anybody destroy an innocent child, an innocent life? If you'd like to read the commandments, it's pretty clear. Do not take an innocent life. Right? It's, it, it's in Exodus 20, it's in Deuteronomy 5, and it's, well, it's everywhere, okay? It's not hard to find anywhere in the Bible. So we're living with the results of a culture without God. Okay, great, Joe, we know that. All right, what's the church's job? Our job is to bring Jesus back into the culture. All right, here's the good news. Every time a culture gets bad enough, if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, if you look at the judges, every time a culture gets bad enough, somebody wakes up and says, man, this is even crazier than I thought. Maybe we ought to go back and check out this Jesus stuff. And when they do, a repentance cycle starts and the church flourishes. Guys, we need to be on the forefront of that. We need to be working and praying to bring Jesus back into our society. Now, in, a, in South, the Southeast, about 25% of people go to church. We're the high watermark, guys. Most of the country, 5%. 5%. And what kind of church do they go to? That's, you know, another question. So, our job is to flip that script and say, we want to bring God back. But you know what? Before we can bring prayer and the Bible and Jesus back into a culture, we got to bring it back into ourselves and back into the church. Does that make sense? If we don't have it in us, we've got nothing to give. Now, I don't know if you know this, and it's bad on my part. I'm out this week, and I just assume, but I did not know that Ormond Beach had female police officers. But I found out this week that Ormond Beach has female police officers. 
And you know, I've seen these things on YouTube where people try to talk their way out of tickets. And so I thought, I, I'm, I'm going to try this. And I, I said, uh, I said, aren't, aren't you the lady that doesn't give tickets to good-looking men? And she said, yes, I am. Sign here. Just uh, kudos to the Ormond Beach PD. All right. Here's my, here's my statement. Yes. If life doesn't matter, then eternal life doesn't matter. And if life and eternal life doesn't matter, nothing matters. And that's the culture that we find ourselves in. So here we are in Acts chapter 1. And we talked about how that Jesus spent three and a half years teaching the disciples, right? And then after the resurrection, many convincing proofs. He's speaking to 500 people at one time. He's holding his hands out so they can see the, the holes, touch the nail holes if they want, to see that he is flesh and blood, that he's been raised from the dead, that he is the Messiah. He teaches them for another 40 days, intensive teaching, and you think they're ready to go, and they still don't do anything, but they go back to Jerusalem. But they do one thing right, and that's what we're going to look at today, if you'll stand. We're going to... Look at verses 12 to 19. <clears throat> then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, there's just a little ravine on the east side of, of the city of Jerusalem. Mount of Olives is right there. So it's a, it's a quarter mile. I don't know what the Sabbath distance is, but it's about a quarter mile walk from where they would have been spending the night back to the upper room where they had the Last Supper. It's a Sabbath day walk, so it was short from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in in prayer. Along with the women, all the women that had been following Jesus, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. They're all in the upper room. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all of intestines spilled out. Good verse for the fridge. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akadelma. That is the field of blood. You can be seated. So, after the three and a half years of teaching, after the 40-day intensive, Jesus is taken up to heaven. We left them last week. What are they doing? They're standing there gawking up into heaven. Two angels say, why are you standing here? Go back and do what he told you to do. So they go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the house where they had the Last Supper. If you go with me to Jerusalem, I'll take you to the house. We'll go to the upper room. We'll have communion in that upper room. You'll be amazed how big this place is. 
And they went there and they had nothing to do. They don't know what to do. Even though Jesus has told them repeatedly, you're going to make disciples, you're going to go to all the world. He told them, go back there and just hang out. So what do they do? They go back and the only thing they could do was pray. And that's what they should have been doing all along. Now, prayer freaks people out. Prayer is simply talking to God. And there's no right way, there's no wrong way. It's like, well, I don't have that kind of language. I don't know the words. No, it's about you talking to God and you listening to God. And you listen to God. Listen, we're not mystics. You listen to God by reading the Word of God. That's where God speaks to you, is through His Word. And then you laugh with God, you cry with God, you get angry with God. But here's the deal. You don't have to pray until your back is against the wall. Most people don't learn how to pray until their backs are against the wall. Because it's not until you're trying to do the impossible that you learn how to pray. How do we end abortion? Well, I can't solve that. My prayers can, because I'm connecting with a powerful God. I, my prayers can help us do more here than we've ever done before. But if we're not praying, the power of God is not moving. And if the power of God is not moving, nobody gets saved, no lives get changed, no marriages get put back together, and no babies get saved. Does that make sense? God's power is what moves Everything. Acts 2.42 said the church met together daily and they devoted themselves to four things. Apostles teaching, word of God, prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship. They worked together, they prayed together, they studied together, and they had the Lord's Supper together. That's what bonded them together because they knew just to live in Jerusalem as Christians, not as Jews any longer, but Jewish people who had become Christians, they knew that they needed the power of God for everything they were going to do. And you and I are facing all kinds of obstacles in our culture that's gone crazy, that doesn't know a male from a female swimmer, in a culture that can't define most words anymore, and the words we define are crazy. We've got a university systems that have lost their minds. We've got so much craziness going on, and yet God's Word is so, so clear. But unless the church is serious about prayer and connecting with the power of God, we'll never change anything. So here's my application. All right, a lot of you got the prayer journals. If you didn't, they're out in the lobby, uh, out of guest services. Um, I want you to go online. I hope you'll go online. And you'll hit a button. We made it easier. It's a big button that says pray. You push the button and uh, you sign up for a half hour a week to represent your church before God. And there may be 50 of you in one slot. That's okay. And we, I kind of messed the roll up of this out. Uh, they came to me last week and said, Joe, after three weeks we have five people signed up. And none of your staff have signed up. So I knew that I had messed up. Okay. So I'm glad you got the books, but we want you to go to the website and then just go to prayer and say, I'll take Tuesday morning from 7.30 to 8. That's my time to represent the church before the kingdom of God. Okay? That, you got that? That's, uh, that? that's what we're after. But again, we live in an age, and, and I'll just point out that people believe that Stephen Hawking was maybe the smartest man uh, ever to live, he, uh, he and Einstein. But I want you to look at Stephen Hawking's quote. He says, because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself 
from nothing. Because there's a law of gravity. I do not have a PhD in physics from Princeton. I'm telling you, that's nonsense. That is nonsense. Because there's a law of gravity, things can create themselves. Okay, but see, Stephen had ruled God out, out of the equation early in his life. He had ruled God to be a, a farce, the Bible to be a farce. So he had to create something. And then once you start saying it, other people go, oh my goodness, he's the smartest guy in the world. He must be right. And we end up with a culture that is out of control because we've stripped God, His Word, and prayer out of the church and out of the community. And as a result of that, we end up with the crazy society that we have today. So, they're in the upper room. And again, this place is huge. I don't know. I've been in there with, with hundreds of people. I've been in there with 20 people. We always have communion there. But you can go to all different parts. It's, it's a big banquet hall, basically. It's a large house. And then the upper room it was for banquets. It was for wedding events. It was for whatever. And that's where the disciples went when they had the Last Supper. So the last time Peter was there, things didn't go very well for Peter. Remember? Things are, Jesus said, I'm telling you, somebody here is going to betray me. And Peter says, oh, you don't know what a man I am. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll be the one guy to be here. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He said, Peter went away, wept. It's a crazy story, right? Here's Peter back a couple of months later, sitting in that same room. Praying, waiting for God's power. And Peter stands up and says this. He said, didn't you guys know the scripture had to be fulfilled? See, Peter finally figured out his role. He's always been the leader of the twelve because he was the oldest. You know that, right? Peter was probably 20. The other guys were 14, 15. Right? You, that's... That doesn't fit with your picture, does it? We know Peter was the oldest because he's the only one married. Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law, so we know he was married. And so Peter knows that he's meant to be the leader of the other guys, but he's failed pretty much every time. That's why in Matthew 14, when Jesus is walking on the water, he tells Jesus, uh, Jesus says, come on out here, guys. And Peter's like, I don't want to do this, but I'm supposed to be leading the other guys. Well, Peter's failed on multiple occasions. And this time, Peter stands up in that same room that he's failed miserably. And Peter says, didn't you guys know we had to fulfill the Scripture? Didn't you know that everything that's written in the Word of God would come true? And the thousands of prophecies that you and I now look back on have all been fulfilled. And there's only two or three left. And the big one is Jesus coming to get us. When you realize that, I was listening this week. I know I just preached through Isaiah, but I'm on a thing right now to listen through the Bible. Right? I know how to read it, but I decided to listen through it this time. And so I'm listening through the book of Isaiah the other day. And in my listening, I'm just like, that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. Oh, that's what they said Jesus would do. I mean, the words just jump out at you when you're listening. And Peter would have known those prophecies forwards and backwards because he learned them when he was in grade school. 
And Peter said, guys, didn't you know Scripture had to be fulfilled? So the story of Judas, yes, yeah, somebody was going to betray Jesus. That did happen. Jesus was going to be crucified. That did happen. Jesus was going to raise from the dead on the third day. It did happen. And Jesus is going to come back again. And either heaven or hell is going to be in the balance for every one of us. My job is to take as many people with me as I can. So if you've not accepted Jesus online, you can hit a button. I've decided you can see Pastor David, Pastor Ben. You can come up here to the decision sign. We've got so many ways. Stop at guest services desk. We'll answer your question. Let me tell you a cool story. Uh, we've been working with a lady. She, she watches from New Hampshire. And she comes down in the winter and she lives in Polk County. And she's, <clears throat> she's been negotiating with us. And yesterday was her birthday. And she said, for my birthday, I want to be baptized. So she and her family drove two hours to come over here to give her life to Jesus Christ. And we baptized her yesterday at noon. Isn't that cool? Now, it's not exactly the same as walking, you know, 12 miles on a dirt road, whatever. But she understood the importance of following the Word of God. And that's what we, we just stood backstage and she said, you know, I've waited all these years for this moment. And here it is right here in front of us. Such a powerful moment. Psalm, or 2 Timothy 3, we'll do that one first. All scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Does that give you an idea that the word of God is true and it's going to be fulfilled? How about Psalm 19? The law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives the soul. It's perfect. Now, I love this about God, because if I'm writing the book, and if I'm writing the book to fool you, I would never put that statement in there. Because anybody comes along and says, perfect? Prove it. Well, God spent the last 4,000 years proving himself to be just that, to be true in every single sentence that's there. It is incredible. And you'll hear people all the time, oh, the Bible's full of mistakes. Always ask, would you give me one or two? See, they've been taught by their science teacher or their history teacher or their math teacher. All these brilliant people, but nobody can ever answer that question. And God said, my word is perfect. That's a pretty bold claim, don't you think? All right, now we're going to get tough. Now is the time you need your seatbelt, all right? So at the end of this, Peter said, Scripture's going to be fulfilled. They're praying. And he said, and they're obviously hurting because Judas was one of their own. Even though Judas was maybe not the best loved, we know that Judas stole money from the bag. So he's not the man with the most integrity in the group. We know that. But he was still one of them. And Judas went out and took his life. He took, he took the silver, threw it back in the temple, and then he went and took his life. It's a crazy story. And the field is called the field of blood to this day. Now, here's what's crazy. If you go to Jerusalem, this is on the south side of the city, of the old city. Uh, Jerusalem's like New York, okay? It's big, big buildings all around, but the old city still sits there in the middle of, of the, of the, of the uh, whole section. And the south part of the city is the place where Judas took his life. 
I st- we just stand there and I'll say, hey, look, there's nothing out there. You've got houses over here and houses over here, cemeteries over here. You've got huge buildings over here. But look, right here, nothing. Why? It's the field of blood. And 2,000 years later, there's nothing there. Nothing has ever been built on that spot because 2,000 years ago, this is where the man who betrayed Jesus Christ hung himself. It is the field of blood, and to this day, it testifies to what happened and to the whole story of Jesus. We live in a culture of blood. And the Bible's very clear. I'll just give you a couple of verses. But the Bible says that he who sheds innocent blood, his blood will be required of him. All right. I don't think any, I don't know anything that's more innocent than an unborn child. So I'm going to run you through here at the end of the message. We're going to run through a bunch of quotes. And here's what I did. I took out all titles and I took off all um, names. So uh, you can just know they're politicians or they're Hollywood people or whatever. But I took off because that's irrelevant. I just want you to see what's being said in our culture today. All right? An unborn baby's heartbeat should be called a fetal pole cardiac activity. Why? Because if you simply said it's a heartbeat, people would say, well, that would be a life. If you kill humans and keep their parts in a fridge, you're Jeffrey Dahmer. When Planned Parenthood does it, it's health care and empowers women. This one's tough. Minimizing preborn humans is fetus phobic. Okay, I listened to this speech. And this lady said, if you care about unborn children, you are a warped and messed up human being. And this is the wording she used. It's a lady. Right to abortion is non-negotiable as the Supreme Court allows the Texas law to continue. In fact, in that quote, it said, you cannot have a democracy without abortion. You feel free to read the Constitution any way you'd like to read it. Frontwards, backwards, lay it on its side. You will not find the right to kill innocent children in the Constitution. Ah, how about the argument, it's my body. Your body doesn't have two heads, four hands, four feet, two heartbeats, and two distinct DNA. Senator suggests a 15-week fetus is not a human being. I don't know what it is, but... A Texas man arrested for allegedly torturing a child's hamster facing up to 25 years in prison. The unborn are zombies, and a human embryo is not human. Now, I'm not real good with words, but watch this. A human embryo is not... All right, I'm just just a reporter. If lethal injection is inhumane... What is abortion? Governor signs legislation saying that minors can get an abortion. My children will be sent home and suspended if I send them with an aspirin to school. In the United States of America, 630,000 innocent lives were snuffed out in 2019, the last year that we kept records. I like the quote from Schindler's List. He who saves one life saves the entire world. Okay, two things. 
If you need forgiveness, we want you to find forgiveness in Jesus. If you're forgiven, I want you to help me change the world and bring Jesus and prayer and the value of life back into our culture. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Solomon, <clears throat> Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. One last picture. This is James Harrison. James Harrison has some weird blood. It has some kind of a rare... Um, it's a positive thing, um, but it helps blood coagulate. And he's given blood over a thousand times. And 2.4 million babies' lives have been saved because of this man's blood. Is that not crazy? I guess we could go a lot of ways with that. Jesus' blood paid for all sin. I don't care how bad it is, it's all bad. Jesus paid for all of it. But here's the deal. I don't know that I could save 2.4 million children, but if by volunteering or filling up baby bottles or writing a check and putting money in that pink envelope or giving online, if we rescue one child, is that not a win? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak clearly to us. I thank you for the gift of life. And I pray that the church comes alive as people of the word, people of prayer, and people who understand that life is the ultimate gift from God and that, God, it all belongs to you, that you are the creator of all of it. We give you the praise. We're thankful that we're here today and we get a chance to make a difference in our culture. In Jesus' name.